Hello everyone, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies with the latest news in both books and sports. And today is a sports episode. And it will probably be longer than the last couple weeks because oh my god, so much happened. Playoffs, hockey's back, NBA had some really crazy games. It's gonna be an interesting episode. Though the thing I am most thankful for right now is the fact that I can actually breathe out of my nose now that that cold is gone. Pew, 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 pew. Enter sound effects here, which we don't have. It's one of those things where, like, you don't remember when you don't have a cold how bad it is to try to breathe when you have a cold. So you just spend all of your time while you're sick praying for the moment that you can breathe through both your nostrils again. And I'm just very thankful at this point. Hooray! Where did you want to start now that you're not sick? We don't have to hear your snuffles all day long. As the editor of this podcast, I appreciate the fact that I'm not going to have to do that very much. But let's start with the NFL because they are into the playoffs. This is true. So the Atlanta Falcons announced on Friday that they've hired Arthur Smith as their next head coach. He was one of the seven coaching candidates considered for Atlanta. Yeah, most notoriously known, he has been the mind behind the powerhouse that is the Titans offense over the last two years. So I'm not shocked to see this. You know, he literally brought Tannehill, who has been a mediocre quarterback his entire NFL career, into stardom. So, But also in the hiring side of things, the New York Jets have hired 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala mm-hmm. as a new head coach. The deal is for five years, according to sources close to the NFL people who do their articles and stuff. The Jets had done nearly a dozen interviews in an attempt to find the best coach for the team. Like, that's too many interviews. The one I'm kind of shocked about with this story is the fact that Robert Salah has such close ties to the state of Michigan. So I'm kind of shocked that she didn't take the Lions coaching job. But I guess if you are going to the Jets, you do have the second pick in the NFL draft. So odds are you're probably going to get somebody good to build a, a team around. So I guess maybe that's why he took that job. Whereas the Lions were a little further down the food chain. But most recently, he was the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. I know this past season isn't really the shining star of that, but in the previous years, the 49ers defense has been one of the best defenses in the NFL. And I think, honestly, the one thing the Jets were lacking was good defense this year. So it might help their situation to have the previous defensive coordinator for a team that's been notorious for having great defense. So not saying that the Jets are going to be a good team by any means next year, but I'm sure all the fans have their fingers crossed. Right. This is probably going to help one would assume. Without a doubt, it'll help at least a little bit. And the Chicago Bears defensive coordinator Chuck Pagano Mm -hmm. has decided to retire. The 60-year-old cited a desire to spend more time with his family as his main reason for stepping away from the sport. Probably doesn't help that you didn't really make the playoffs. Well, you were the wild card that it's not real playoffs. In the NFL, it's considered part of the playoffs, but Sounds real stupid. Yeah, we won't go there. It's an argument for another day, another time, not while we're recording. But yeah, no, uh, Chuck Pagano has been one of the more senior coaches in the NFL. So um, however, he's one of the greatest defensive minds. So I'm, I'm a little sad to see him go. But at the same time, I kind of understand uh, the reasoning behind it. So family is important. And there's no doubt about that. And the thing that I really 
I harped on it last week. I'm going to harp on it this week, probably. So the Texans owner, Cal McNair, vowed to include Deshaun Watson when deciding who will be the team's next head coach. So as we've talked about before, this player, Deshaun Watson, was upset last week when McNair hired a GM without talking to him because he had promised to include him in the discussion. And I said, because of him making that promise, I can understand why this guy was upset. But otherwise, you're just a cog in a machine and like you don't really get a say. But apparently, they got over their little tiff. They were texting back and forth and whatever. So they're gonna hopefully find a good head coach. Yeah. Also, I still think this is dumb. Yeah. Well, good thing you're not a GM or an owner of an NFL team. It makes everybody feel a little bit better about their team's situation, probably. Also this week, though, we had the Jaguars signing Urban Meyer as their new head coach, uh, which is a weird one. It's not often you see head coaches come out of the collegiate world into the NFL. Yeah. It's usually people with NFL offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator experience. But Urban Meyer has a college career record as a head coach of 187 and 32. So maybe not a bad hire for the Jaguars. You know, the guy's got a good track record. It's just not at the professional level. It's so. a pretty big jump. I would think you'd be like an assistant coach or like a coordinator of some kind. Yeah. He coached at Bowling Green, Utah, the University of Florida, and most recently the Ohio State. He holds three national championships, two with Florida Gators and one with the Ohio State Buckeyes. So he brings a winning track record with him. It's just a matter of seeing if it translates to the NFL level. There's been a lot of coaches that have in the past come up from the college level and and either flopped or been really good it's one or the other and nothing in between so i guess we'll see in the next few years how that works out for the jaguars the positive thing i guess for him is that he'll be able to build his offense around more than likely trevor lawrence as the number one pick in the nfl draft barring anything that goes crazy between now and the draft date for trevor lawrence On top of that, uh, we do have some more hirings. The Raiders hire ex-Chargers defensive coordinator Gus Bradley to be their new defensive coordinator, which is a weird one. You don't really see coaches move between the Raiders and the Chargers. They've kind of always been a hated rivalry. It would be like a coach from the Yankees going to the Red Sox, and it's just kind of frowned upon. Or in some instances, like a player going from Dortmund to Bayern Munich, all the Dortmund fans hate that player now, you know, type of a thing. I feel like you shouldn't talk for my team, but all right. Well... You do usually accept them back with open arms like Hummels, so, you know. Right. I think that's all the hirings and firings I have, but I also do have the fact that the uh, Patriots head coach decided this week that he won't accept the Medal of Freedom from the President Donald Trump after the attacks on the Capitol last week that he said he was disgusted by. Good times. So he issued the statement on Monday, January 11th, in which he declined to accept the Presidential Medal of Freedom that President Trump had intended to present to him that week due to what happened on Wednesday, which Trump incited. Now, this is kind of weird because apparently they've had a friendship for years, Yeah, which I thought was real odd. Yeah, Trump, Robert Kraft, and Belichick have kind of always been somewhat close, so much so that like a lot of the conversations that Trump was having with the NFL to try to get fans back in stadiums was usually brought up by Belichick or Robert Kraft, who's the owner of the Patriots. So I'm not 100% shocked that that's the case. You know, when you're buddies with the president, it's kind of weird that you turn it down, but understandably so, what happened in Washington was an absolute disgrace, and I wouldn't want to be attached to it either, to be completely honest. I don't blame the guy. In kind of sad news, 
Josh Gordon, who was a wide receiver with the Seattle Seahawks, has had his conditional reinstatement rescinded after his battle with substance abuse faced a setback, I guess you would call it. So apparently he had been suspended and then he was in the process of coming back into it and then they had to rescind it because it's one of the conditions of him coming back that he has to have a handle on his substance abuse and he fell off the wagon. Yeah, so this is an ongoing situation that he's been dealing with for a number right. of years, all the way back to 2013 when he was the number one wide receiver in receiving yards for the season. So let's be honest, probably back to his collegiate career. It's a bummer to see such a talent wasted just based on the fact that he can't get his substance abuse under control. I'll be completely honest, he doesn't really go out of his way to do much to stop it, though, either. So, like, I don't feel 100% bad for him, but... Here's the thing. You cannot understand what he is going through because you do not face that issue. Right. I'm also not him. So, I don't think it's our place to have feelings necessarily about someone else's issues with substance abuse. Yeah. And we can't determine what they're doing is right or wrong or whatever because we have never and probably will never be in that situation. Right. It's like when people try to tell poor people how to handle their money. Like, just step back. You don't need to be that far in someone's face or business. Yeah. And for a guy that has as much natural raw talent as Josh Gordon has, it's... It, again, it, it, it's a bummer to see it wasted to an right, extent. Right, yeah. I can agree with that. In the category of, I guess, funny news, or okay. at least I think it's funny news, I always like talking about stuff like this over, like, talking about scores and plays and crap. I'd rather talk about this stuff. So Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, is going to be a guest host for one of the episodes of Jeopardy. Interesting. So apparently he's recently recorded it and he accidentally let it slip when he was talking on a podcast with someone. So he's like, whoopsie daisies. I hope they're not mad at me and I hope they'll still show the episode. They they 100% will just because if anything that creates more hype for the episode. Because as a star in the NFL, there will be plenty of people that are interested in watching that episode. So I don't think that's a real major concern, I guess. Right, yeah. He just, he didn't get permission to talk about it before he talked about it. Yeah. Also this week, we do have one major injury. Ravens' Lamar Jackson suffered a concussion in Saturday's game against the Bills. They ended up losing that game, but... The Bills themselves, you know, just played a really hard defensive game, so I'm really not shocked to see that happen. And that was just in yesterday's game on Saturday, the day after, well, the day before we recorded. There we go. Words. I knew what I meant to say. On Saturday, January 16th. Yes. Yeah. That's a lot easier than talking about the recording. (laughs) He left the game in the third quarter after being hit pretty hard. It was a shoulder pad to the chest area, and his head kind of bounced weird as he was being taken to the ground so they immediately put him into concussion protocols and he was i don't know 10 minutes after he left the field they basically were like yeah he's not coming back yeah so um hopefully he heals well from that concussions are obviously no laughing matter they can literally screw up your brain for the rest of your life so hopefully everything goes well for lamar also speaking as someone who had a concussion when they were a kid Like, you're not in your right mental state right after it's happened, and, like, you don't understand what's happening to you if you have one, especially a really rough one. So, like, he could have gone back onto the field, and next thing you know, he's on the ground, and, like, nobody's home. Yeah. So, 
it's probably better just to scoot him along, get him taken care of. Speaking on the Ravens, the NFL fined Ravens Marcus Peters $15,000 for celebrating an interception on the Titans logo, and that was the previous Sunday's game, so uh, during the wildcard weekend. So Okay, so right after we recorded mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. And then the last big announcement from the NFL that I have, they announced that it will not stage a traditional scouting combine this year due to COVID-19. So I'm not sure what it's going to look like yet. They haven't come out with that, but pretty much the board on the NFL is like, we're not doing it like normal. That's to be expected, I would think. Yeah. Well, normally they cram about like 15 to 20 people of every position that are trying to get into the NFL out of the college level to compete in contests to kind of show their prowess. I can jump this high, run this fast, yeah. Yeah. So it's probably a good idea not to do that. Yeah. Did you have any other NFL news before we go into talking about your picks from last week? No. What are we saying about my picks? You did pretty well. Two two and one. You know, you uh, picked the Saints over the Bears, which hurt a little bit. On I'm the inside. sorry. But it was the right choice, obviously. We all knew that it was probably going to be the correct choice. I wanted a different outcome. I just knew what was going to happen. The sad thing is, as a Bears fan... We had a chance. We just beat ourselves for the most part. Like the Saints played a good football game, not to take the win away from them, but the Bears played well enough that if they had converted on a couple opportunities, like two or three, instead of blowing them, we would have been there. So like we had that touchdown pass that, let's be honest, anybody listening could have caught. I would have trusted you to make that catch and you're coordination you is not great. You should not trust me to do any catching of any kind. If you'd seen the play, you would know that you would have made the catch. Um, I just remember being back here editing the podcast and I was hearing your groans and whines and complaints and I'm like, oh God, this is going to be a horrible day. And what's crazy is it wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. Well, that's good, yeah. I guess. So the shining hope is the fact that the Bears played well. They beat themselves. Yeah. Um, we would have had another touchdown if Wims would have caught that ball that you could have caught, which would have made it 21-16, but it also would have put the Bears up 10 points ahead of the Saints, which made it change the whole style of the way the game was being played. So, Well, then you get into discussions of morale and how that affects the game, and that's just complicated. Yep. So we'll get off that subject and move on. Uh, your second pick, you picked the Ravens over the Titans, and they won. That's good. The one that you fell short on was not trusting your boy from Oklahoma, which was heartbreaking and shocking to me a little bit last week when you picked it. Yeah, but they were from Pittsburgh, so I had to pick them. Yeah, they still did well. They put 37 points on the board, but uh, the Browns put up 48. There was no defense in that game, it sounds like. That's exactly what that sounds like. That's a high-scoring game, in my opinion. Yeah, it was a pretty wild and crazy game. So we have a couple games today, uh, or that were played yesterday, and that was Divisional Weekend Day 1. The Bills eliminated the Ravens 17-3. to This will make the first AFC Championship appearance for the Buffalo Bills in 27 years. So almost the entire time you and I have been on the earth. Why, there hasn't been a Buffalo Bills team around here in 27 years. Yeah. Okay. All right, Sheriff. Um... <laughs> And then also the Packers eliminated the Rams 32-18. to uh, The Packers did not allow a single sack in the game against the Rams, which the Rams are notorious for having a really great defense. They normally average about two to three sacks a game. So the fact that they didn't allow a single one, pretty impressive. And the Packers ended up sacking the quarterback for the Rams four times. And their defense is 
Eh, it's good. Obviously, it's good enough to do some damage. But most importantly, let's get to your picks for day two of the Divisional Weekend. There oh, are only okay. two games, so you either can break even, lose two games, or win two. So we'll see Those how your average are continues. The yes. yes. You have the Browns versus the Chiefs. That just sounds so racist. Okay. The um... the Chiefs are the number one seed in the AFC. Obviously, at the helm, you have Andy Reid as the head coach. And then at quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, the uh, billion-dollar man. So, I love Baker. I don't think he's going to be able to dress the pig up nice enough for this one, personally. But I don't know about you. I don't want to pick either one of these teams because it just sounds like a racist race off, whatever. Um... Yeah, I think I'm going to go with you. I'm going to say the Chiefs. Okay. The second game is between two of the greatest old-timer quarterbacks in the NFL. Between the Buccaneers and the Saints, you have Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. Are you going with the Houdat Nation of the Saints, or are you going with uh, the Buck Well, you haven't told me anything about their rankings or their seed whatever it's called so the saints are the second seed and the buccaneers i believe were the fourth for the nfc so it's getting to the point where it feels like there's not really an underdog because they're so close together yeah i'm gonna go with the saints okay the saints will go marching in is what she's predicting that's definitely not how i said it but sure okay sounds like pretty good picks i don't disagree with them i think you're pretty much going to be spot on so it's easy to pick the top teams as the people who are going to win things, so... Well, yeah, usually speaking. But where did you want to hop off to next? Because that's all the NFL stuff I have. In the MLB, Corey Kluber and the Yankees have agreed to a one-year deal expected to be worth $11 million pending a physical. I don't know who this player is, but that was a signing that happened in the offseason. Corey Kluber was the... American League Cy Young Award winner last year. You know, I do remember reading that now that you said that. Yeah. The number one pitcher in all the American League. No big deal. The names for... Oh, God. I don't want to get into that again. The MLB just makes no sense. They're all in the American League because they're all American teams. No, there's also the National League. Which is an American League because they all play in America anyway. I'm not going to jump on that soapbox again, sorry. Um, also, the Yankees did a little bit of extra signing. They re-signed DJ LeMahieu to a six-year $90 million contract. He was expected to go for more than $80 million no matter where he went, so uh, I'm not shocked to see that amount of money. What's the AAV on something like that? 90 divided by 6? 15 mil a year. No big deal. Jeez. You could buy the state of Texas for that. I don't know that you could buy the state of Texas for that. You can probably get pretty close. No, no you couldn't. You could probably buy Oklahoma for it, let's be honest. Okay. But Texas. Talking crap about my home state. All right. So the Angels have signed catcher Kurt Suzuki to a one-year deal worth $1.5 million on Friday. Definitely not getting the same kind of payday. He doesn't deserve one, let's be honest. Um, Apparently, he signed below his market rate according to the people who wrote the article, because of his desire to join the Angels, which leaves them with more money to allocate on other players or whatever they need to spend money on. The Angels better get going if they're going to spend money because everybody's pretty much signing this week, all the major players anyways. Well, they have the money to do it. They just need to do it. Yeah. Pull the trigger on someone. The Mets agreed to a one-year $22.3 million deal to avoid arbitration with Francisco Lindor, their new shortstop that they traded for that was a restricted free agent. So I was definitely expecting 
a large contract for this player. He's probably, let's say, top three shortstops in the game right now. So I'm not shocked that he got a large sum of money. I think the weird thing is that they only signed him for one year. It seems like it's the year of one year contracts. We had that with the NHL. We had it with the NBA. It seems like we're going to have it with MLB. Yeah, they it definitely carries on. So Chris Bryant signed a one year contract with the Cubs to avoid arbitration as well. Valued at $19.5 million. Avoiding arbitration seems to be the thing that was going on this week. Right, because you also had the White Sox avoiding arbitration with their eligible players this past Friday, January 15th. By agreeing to one-year deals with Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. Yeah. Giolito is set to earn $4.15 million dollars in the next season and Lopez is set to earn 2.1 million dollars during the 2021 season. Like I know how much money we're spending and I know that's why Giolito took such a low contract. He wants to be a part of this team that right. we're building right now and I'll be honest, as a White Sox fan, I didn't expect us to be spending as much money as we are and it makes me really nervous and excited, I guess. Is this one of the leagues where you have to pay a luxury tax if you're going to if you go over the cap, yes, but so far the White Sox have not gone over the cap, even with all the spending they've been doing. Well, that's doing. good. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason Giolito took the one-year contract at the very low sum of money that he was offered. Let's be honest, Giolito being the ace for the team over the last number of years deserves more than $4 million. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy that they're shortchanging him that much, but... At the same time, you know, the White Sox this week also signed a four-year deal with Liam Hendricks, who was the number one rated relief pitcher in the free agency market. That contract was valued at $54 million. Um, If you're a relief pitcher, why are you making so much money? I don't get it. Because he's literally the best. He was the number one rated relief pitcher, which is just mind-boggling that they didn't, like, keep him signed where he was in uh, Oakland previously so i'm glad oakland was dumb and didn't sign him because now he's a part of my team well Um, i guess i just don't understand how a relief pitcher earns more money than a regular pitcher unless that's kind of like the whole point like this is the more important part of the pitching lineup or something because i don't understand so having a good bullpen usually will win you games obviously having starting pitchers that are good is the most crucial place in that role And the White Sox have stacked up a couple of players on that. But there are still a lot of rumors going around that the reason Giolito took that contract was because of the Liam Hendricks contract. And there's also rumors going around that we are going after Trevor Bauer, who was the National League Cy Young Award winner. So the best pitcher in the National League. So, so much so that even he made a joke as comparing it to the Avengers gauntlet with the Stones in them i'm I'm being a really bad nerd right now because i'm half asleep and i've had no caffeine today but yeah that's what he he actually tweeted out and was like if you're looking for the final stone just add me to your team because we would literally at that point have the best four pitchers that you could have in a pitching rotation in the major leagues all in one team and it would be bonkers I guess I will never understand because it's like you're pitching less than the other guys. So why are you making so much more money? Right. But. And the word I was looking for was infinity stones. And I don't know why my brain didn't go there. And I apologize to my fellow nerds. So sorry. My brain was in sports, not in comics or Avengers things. You also haven't seen that movie, so. I have not. 
Also this week, the Dodgers signed a one-year contract with Cody Bellinger, valued at $16.1 million. He's a starting pitcher for them as well. I'm not shocked to see that. Yay, him. But that's all the signings I have for Thank the week. Thank God. It I'm... felt like the week of just signing anyone never won. Right. Are they getting close to camps or something? Like, is that why it's the week of signings? So pitchers and catchers uh, report to spring training in a little under a month now. So... Yes. So they had time to sign people. They didn't need to do it all this past week. Spread it out a little, please. Jeez. Yeah. But in news that affects more people than just people who like baseball, the Major League Baseball ballparks across the country are now being used as COVID vaccination sites. Yeah. The ones that are currently set are City Field in New York with the Mets, Petco Park in San Diego with the Padres, Dodger Stadium in LA with the Dodgers, and Minute Maid Park in Houston with the Astros. Those are the ones that were set as of last night. Yeah, and it's good that these teams are using their facilities to do these types of things. They're predominantly just using the parking lots. They're not actually using the stadiums themselves. So the parking structures are predominantly what where they're doing these drive-in uh, right. vaccinations, but it allows for better social distancing obviously it's a lot faster to just keep cars moving doing vaccinations than it is to be like okay we can only have 10 people in our waiting room right now right you know next <laughs> so i just... feel like the old stadium here in dallas arlington wouldn't be very good for that just because of the way it was set up yeah but i don't know about the new stadium that they built how that parking is relatively the same I feel like they could probably do it there. The only concern would be it would mess with the Six Flags traffic here. So I think that would be the... Are people, people going to Six Flags? Man, F Texas. Yes, still are. Um, Words I'm not allowed to say. No. But the MLB also announced this week it will suspend all political donations. So um, they're joining a very large group of people. The NFL has started doing that last week as well. In response to the attacks on the Capitol, um, they are no longer going to be sending money to try to get their things the way they want them to be, I guess, between... I feel like this is something that should have happened a long time ago. Yeah. You are a sports organization. You don't need to be playing around in politics. And you saw a lot of major banks doing the same thing. So it's just good that there's a lot of people pulling money out of the government roles, like to bribe people into doing what they want, more or less. Let's call it what it is. It's good. It's a good thing. I'm excited about it. And then this week as well, a Mickey Mantle 1952 trading card sells for a record price of $5.2 million. There's that. It's the most expensive Mickey Mantle card ever sold at auction at 5.2 million. So pretty impressive amount of money for a piece of paper with a picture on it. Yeah. I never understood baseball cards, but I've also never been a little boy. So I'll be honest. I have a collection of a few of them, but ones that just kind of meant more to me, you know, growing up my childhood favorite stars and yeah. whatnot and different sports. So I'm not shocked by that, I guess, but I don't think I'd ever pay 5.2 million for a baseball card ever in my entire life. Right. Even if I won the lotto, I don't think I would be, like, okay with doing that. I would never be okay with doing that, no matter what. Yeah. But that's all the MLB news I have. I don't know if you have any more. No, thank God. For the NBA, the Indiana Pacers' Karis LeVert is out indefinitely after a small mass was found on his left kidney during a physical prior to finalizing that mega, like, four-team trade with Brooklyn. 
Yeah. He is set to undergo more tests and additional details will be released at a later date. He is currently signed through 2022 through 2023. Yeah, so basically he didn't even know that the mask was there. Right, he had no symptoms or anything from what I read. Yeah, so what ended up happening, what was kind of crazy about it, more so than anything, was he was tweeted out basically that he was super thankful with the Pacers medical staff for finding it. Right, he is only 26 years old. Yeah. So, like, finding something like that so early is amazing because this could get very bad. Definitely, definitely. And honestly, like, who would ever think that just because you were traded in a massive trade to bring a player who didn't want to play in Houston anymore to Brooklyn would be what ends up possibly saving your life? Like, that's definitely not something you would think would be the the normal protocol to that process anyways. But speaking about that trade, um, I wanted to go in depth on it. It's messy. I don't know if you wrote it down. I did not because it sounded like a show. The, The key pieces that moved were... A, draft picks, a lot of them. They went everywhere. But also two major players. You had Victor Oladipo go from the Pacers to the Houston Rockets. For weeks, Victor Oladipo was not like acting like he was upset for being a part of the Pacers, but he's been expecting a contract extension for a long time now, and deservedly so. He's one of the top players on their team. But he's had a couple injuries over the first couple years of his contract so he was like the concern was is he going to stay healthy and the Pacers were either going to move him or sign him to a smaller contract than he wanted so that's kind of where he was at and so I'm not shocked there and then obviously Harden for literal weeks has been complaining about being in Houston still um, and wanting a trade and so the fact of the matter is the Nets were able to get it done by working out a trade with four other teams to make it all happen. So it's craziness. I just don't understand how you can complain about where you are and just constantly wanting to trade and like, I don't know. Yeah. Seems a bit whiny to me. That trade though does line up both James Harden and Kevin Durant, who are ex-Oklahoma City Thunder players together uh, with Kyrie Irving, who whenever he decides to come back on the planet Earth, which we'll discuss here momentarily, is going to be probably one of the most dangerous triple threats on a court at the same time. They're all players that average over 25 points a game, and that's crazy to have three of those guys on the court at one time. So I don't think that's going to mean that they're going to do 75 points a game between the three of them. I think that would not be possible with how much you have to share the ball with other people. But right. you're probably right that it would be scary to be up against them. I would not want to play them. That's for certain. Speaking of Kyrie Irving, so from my understanding is he took a five-day, like, hiatus from sports, and his team gave that to him or whatever. But during that time frame, he decided it would be a good idea to go to an indoor gathering of 15 or more people, and there's been, like, either a video or a photo or something that got posted online of this. And so he has now been fined $50,000 for violating health and safety protocols by attending this indoor gathering of 15 or more people. He was allowed to return to team activities on Saturday, January 16th. But like, WTF. Man, we're in a global pandemic. What are you doing? So the update this morning, they researched a little further into it. He is being forced to undergo a five-day quarantine period now. 
okay. Which means, based on the NBA's current CBA, that he'll have to sacrifice the pay from the games that he misses right. in the yeah. meantime now as well. It's like $900,000 or something yeah. ridiculous, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I'm excited to see the three of them play their first game together. James Harden kind of set a one-time record in his very first game with the Nets. He becomes the seventh player in the history of the NBA to have a triple-double in his debut for a team, but he becomes the first person ever to have a 30-point triple-double in NBA history on a debut for a game. So... A triple-double is you have double digits for those three categories, right? Correct. Much better than last week. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think he's going to be a good addition to the team. In Houston, last year he averaged almost 38 points a game. I don't think he's going to average that high again, based on your argument. There are three star players now in one team, so they're going to have to figure out how to... Work together. Yeah. Yep. In that game, though, it literally looked like Harden and Durant just they were back to the old OKC days where it's just like perfect dispensing of the ball to one another all over the place he literally set up Durant for a ridiculous alley-oop slam so it's just it's gonna be good I think as long as Kyrie can fit in with that duo that trio is gonna be untouchable well if he ever comes back yeah it's true in other COVID news Carl Anthony Towns the big cat revealed on Instagram on January 15th that he has tested positive for COVID. His infection comes only seven months after his mother, Jacqueline, died at 59 years old due to complications from COVID. You would hope he wouldn't have to go through it as well, but it's part of a like wave of infections that are going through Minnesota Timberwolves right now. So like, it's not 100% his fault. It's kind of the situation he's in. Yeah, he's been one to speak out against COVID-19. Obviously, at the beginning of the season this year, he announced that he's actually lost a total of seven family members to COVID-19. Which is insane, yes. Um, So he definitely is one to move about his life as safe as possible because he knows the dangers of it. So it's clearly the, the spread amongst the team that put him at risk. So it's kind of sad to see somebody you know, that's so outspoken about safety being affected by it and not under his own doing. Because of this wave going through the Timberwolves, they have, the NBA has postponed the January 15th Grizzlies-Timberwolves game for health and safety protocols. They just, they don't have enough players who are healthy and haven't come into contact with anyone to play a game because you're still supposedly required to have eight players. Yeah, even though we've seen some games with only seven. Well, I only know of the one. Yeah. But that's the same situation that happened on Saturday, January 16th between the Indiana Pacers and the Phoenix Suns. They just don't have enough healthy players who haven't come into contact with the other players who are sick. Yeah, the Bulls also had a game that was postponed that they were supposed to play Minnesota earlier this week as well. So. Right. It's one of those things where I'm like, it's getting real messy. What's going to happen? Because I think you're not taking enough precautions as a league, obviously. Well, the NBA did announce that they're going to have a third set of testings right before game time as a rapid test. 
on top of the two PCR tests they have the night before and the day before. Well, my so, problem with that is they're unreliable for the rapid testing. But the PCR tests don't come back before game time. So the dilemma they're having right now is they're having the players take a PCR test the night before a game. The dilemma is they're not getting all the tests through fast enough. So right. if they could catch it with a rapid test and stop it, then obviously that's a better decision in that instance. But I mean, as long as it's catching people, the problem being that you might have just a bunch of false negatives yeah or false positives for that matter so but that's all the nba news i had so i didn't really go that deep into it this week there were some pretty rough ones i will talk about my hell week as a sports fan a little later because it was an interesting week as me in the world of sports so we'll jump into soccer do you have any mls news is that a real question no of course it's not okay i don't so the mls is Montreal Impact have changed their name to Club de Football Montreal. They're very much accepting their Quebec French ways. Yes, because their club's new motto is Droite Devant, which is always forward. Okay. The team's colors will remain black and blue, but they're going to different hues of black and blue. I think it's a bad color choice either way, so whatever. But this is something that they're discussing as, like, changing as their teams evolving and changing and becoming more at one with their community or whatever. So, good for them, I guess. Kind of makes sense. A a name, the Montreal Impact, is kind of like, okay, you're the Impact? What are you impacting? So, I could kind of see the argument. Compared to Club de Foot Montreal. Yeah. I mean... I have thoughts about this because it's a messed up version of French by doing club de foot. Foot is not a word in French, as far as I know. And the other piece of MLS news is that former West Bromwich... Bromwich? Bromwich. Okay. Albion goalkeeper Jonathan Bond has signed with the LA Galaxy. Okay. Bond has only made seven appearances for West Brom since signing in 2018, which is not a good sign. He was their backup for a long time. The 27-year-old could take a prominent role immediately with the Galaxy, which says a lot about MLS, I guess. Yep. And so we'll see how that goes. Is that all the MLS news? Well, there is this whole conflict right now with the MLS's... CBA that they're trying to negotiate. Basically, someone from the Players Association came out and said something about the owners of the MLS and the owners came out and said it's not true, so it's like not really newsworthy in my opinion. They're just like gossiping. Gotcha. We'll see what happens. They don't have a lot of time to get the CBA under wraps. Yeah. What is the latest with international soccer? Because I know you actually pay attention to that. So I will include it in kind of the craziness that is this week, more or less. Bayern Munich had a couple rough days, to say the least. But they're in the normal table for the Bundesliga, they're still holding the number one spot. They won today. So, you know, things are a little better, I guess. At the same time... It's still nerve-wracking, I guess, is the best way for me to put it. I mean, you're at the top of the table. You really don't need to be so effing nervous. And, like, it's frustrating for me, seeing as my team's not the top of the table, and you're getting all worried and anxious about your team. You did lose a pretty important game this past week, but it's not like you're going to 
get relegated or something. Yeah, let's talk about that. So Bayern Munich lost to Holstein Kiel in a penalty kick shootout after extra time. Nobody could score uh, in the DFB Pokal. Holstein Kiel is in the German second league, so the Bundesliga 2. This is the first time Bayern has been eliminated by a non-first league team since 2000. So hurts a little bit. I remember being at work and just seeing these score updates come in and be like, who is this team right. that has a salary annually of about $2 million, a little over that, versus a team that spends 800 to $900 million a year level well, of contracts? Well, I mean... Sometimes David some, beats Goliath. Sometimes you've got the underdog who comes in there and stomps on a team that you really don't expect to lose. Yeah. It definitely put, I think, a lot of the team on edge. Like, nobody could feel comfortable after that loss. Right. And it's not like we played... Like, normally in the second round, we will play players that aren't normally our regular starters. But when we realized the game was as close as it was, we started putting our starters in. Right. So, it's it was a weird game. And really, the whole week was just strange. For me as a sports fan, obviously the Bears lost Sunday. That started it all off. The Bulls also lost on Sunday to the Clippers while Zach Levine scored 45 points, which is his record high for the team. The Illini basketball team lost to unranked Maryland 66-63. to Newcastle United lost to Sheffield United, which gave Sheffield United their first win of the season. That uh, one's kind of bad too, yeah. Yeah. But my thing is, all sports fans have one week where everyone just loses and it's it's like i don't even know what's happening right now like it's not like i like the same teams from city to city or country to country like i like a german soccer team i like man united i like a hockey team that's not even in my town and like all these other things but somehow they all manage to just mess it up yeah Everyone has one of those weeks, you have to understand. The Blackhawks lost both their games to the Lightning, 5-1 and 5-2. I guess the argument is there was improvement in the second game. We got two goals instead of one. Well, I have to say that I kind of expected this going into that game. I didn't expect it to be as ugly, but yes, I kind of did as well. Your team has sort of had a downward trend over the past couple of years, and they just won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And the Bulls also blew a 22-point lead over the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they lost it in overtime. Yeah. So, And then yesterday, the Illini basketball team lost to Ohio State. Illini were ranked 14th overall, and Ohio State was 21st, and they lost 87-81. to That rounded off my week of losses. I'm ready for the next week of wins. Hopefully. Do you guys um, play hockey today? We do. Yeah. Uh, we started the day with Bayern Munich winning today. They won 2-1 to one over Friedberg, so that's The expected start. outcome, but yeah. thankfully that actually happened. Yeah. Keeps Bayern in first place in the Bundesliga with 36 points. You have Red Bull Leipzig in second, Leverskin in third. Um, they've got you by two goals in goal differential. Dortmund also has 29 points in fourth. And then Union Berlin is actually tied goal differential-wise with you, but they are one point behind you in standings. They are right there nipping at your heels in fifth, but that rounds out the top five in the Bundesliga. The big one that I know you're excited to talk about is the fact that Manchester United is still in first place. We love to see it. You guys are currently playing Liverpool as we speak right now. You didn't have to remind me of that. Who currently has drawn out 
two of their last three and lost the other game most recently. So, Do um, you know why I have a problem with you telling me that right when the game is happening? Why? Because, like I always say, fill in the blank, like I always say. I don't know what you always say. All streaks end. Yeah, and you do have a three-game winning streak right now. So, like, that makes me nervous. Yeah. I can understand why. Currently in second place, though, behind Manchester United is Leicester City. And then you have third place Liverpool, fourth place Tottenham, and Manchester City rounding off the fifth. If Liverpool wins today... Why would you say that out loud? If they win today, they would be in first place by goal differential by six goals. Just saying. That's the possibility. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Liverpool is kind of in their midlife crisis mode right now where everything's kind of falling apart and... They don't know how to stop it from happening. So I guess mid-season crisis would be the right term. Yes. Yeah. That's what I have for international soccer and my very sad week of sports. But we started it off with the W. First game of the new week. Take the W. Hopefully it'll continue from there for my sake. And for my sake. Yeah. I can't deal with you when you're like this. It's bad. <laughs> All depressed about sports. But rounding out this podcast with the NHL. The return of the NHL drew record TV ratings in the U.S. and Canada on Wednesday. The opening game of the season between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Philadelphia Flyers averaged 972,000 viewers on NBCSN in the United States, which makes it the network's most watched regular season game ever, period. That just means a lot of people watch the Penguins lose. (sighs) (laughs) Look, you had a bad week. I also had a bad week. (laughs) Moving on. In Canada, the game between the Canadians and the Maple Leafs drew (laughs) 2.1 million viewers. You Uh, gotta make fun of how I say it, don't you? The Maple Leafs? I'm sorry, it should be Maple Leaves. Yeah. They're leaves, not leafs. This makes it the most watched regular season game exclusively aired on Sportsnet. So It's pretty great. 2.1 2.1 million. I wish our games got that much viewership here in the it's U.S. A Canadian sport. I understand that, yes. but more people need to like hockey. Yeah. I will convert people. Dang it. Speaking of hockey, it looks like you're starting Casey to Smith today. Yes. They yeah. announced that a couple hours ago. Yeah. The Tampa Bay Lightning revealed their Stanley Cup championship banner before the home opener on Wednesday, but they decided not to raise the banner without fans in the arena. One of the announcers for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Rick Peckham, said, They say trophies are for the team, rings are for the players, and banners are for the fans. Yeah, it's true. So instead, Peckham narrated a video montage that showed the Lightning returning the cup to Tampa Bay, presenting it to the owner, Jeff Vinnick, skating it around the ice at the arena, raising it during a boat parade, and sharing it around town. Yeah. So, I mean... I definitely think this is the right decision to make. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. It's truly the thing for the fans. Um, Raising the banner is a moment that every fan dreams of being at the game for. So if there's a possibility by the end of the year that that would be the case, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, don't take that away from the fans. They are in the state of Florida, which means there probably will be fans at some point this season, as long as the NHL agrees to it, of course. So I'm not shocked to, to see that as a possibility. At the same time, they should, on their banner, write, we finally did it. Because for the longest time, Tampa Bay fell short of winning the Stanley Cup. Some people think there should be an asterisk on there. Because 2020 was a mess. Oh, stop it. (laughs) 
Before their home opener, the Ottawa Senators held a moment of silence for the loss of two Ontario legends, John Muckler and Alex Trebek. It was the first Senators game since the passing of Trebek, which you know him from Jeopardy. He was the most. And he is also a friend of the hockey franchise, so he's always been a Ottawa fan. Well, he got to announce the draft pick this year, which I thought was really, really cool, especially knowing that he was... At that point, he probably knew he was losing the battle. Yeah. So I'm not shocked that Ottawa went out of their way and did something really cool like that. Yeah. And Muckler served as the Senders GM from 2001 to 2007. Gotcha. So... That was a nice moment that they had. Also this week, Amazon and NHL announced a partnership to produce a docuseries on the Toronto Maple Leafs called All or Nothing. It's going to follow the team between closed door practices and games and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Wow, I I thought it was cool news. I don't get why they wouldn't just have their in-house people record something like that. We have something like that for the Pens, so... All right, well, thanks for kicking down my cool story. (laughs) I'm not saying that's not cool. I'm just like, why wouldn't you have your in-house social media and filming crew do that? Because Amazon has all the monies. Don't get me started on Amazon. Yeah. In funny news from the NHL, after the game on Thursday, January 14th, Mark Stone was named the first star of the game because he scored the game-winning goal and had an assist. And for people who aren't hockey fans, it's a custom that when someone from the home team is named one of the stars of the game, they come onto the ice to acknowledge the fans, wave, and do a little tiny skate and go back. In the absence of a crowd, Mark Stone still went through the ritual by waving to an empty stadium. Which, a lot of people are like, at least he's trying to make everything kind of normal and all of this stuff. I'm like, no, he's being weird. He's being weird on purpose. It's just funny weird crap instead of all of the weird weird crap that's been happening. Well, I definitely kind of see why he would do something like that. He was also named this week the first captain in the franchise's history. So, you know, which was weird because they've been playing now for what, three seasons? Yeah, they've been doing alternates instead of just a captain. Right. And it kind of makes sense that he was named captain. He's been one of the guys there from the beginning. Right. But I want us to acknowledge that just because it's funny weird doesn't mean it's not weird. Yeah. And then speaking of captaincies, it's definitely not the first one, but the Red Wings announced their 37th captain in team history uh, by naming Dylan Larkin to the role. Okay. What's weird about that is they're one of the original six teams, along with the Boston Bruins, who just named their seventh the captain. So it's like they started at the same time, and one has... 37 and the other one has seven yes what is happening that you have 30 more captains yeah they they clearly don't trust somebody for more than like a year or two tops well and they haven't been doing well lately so i can understand they want to change things i guess yeah at a certain point do you just not name a captain well you could just do alternates like vegas was doing right st louis blues forward sammy blaze blaze has been suspended for two games without pay for an illegal check to the head of Colorado Avalanche's defenseman Devin Taves during the game on Wednesday, January 13th. Under the current terms of the collective bargaining agreement and based on his average annual salary, he will forfeit $25,862.06. 
that money will go into the Players Emergency Assistance Fund for the league. I like that move that the NHL did. I think it was probably like three or four years ago where in the CBA they forced fines to go into those yeah. funds because it's like, realistically, you're, you're risking player safety. So it makes sense that, you know, the money would go to something along those lines. Yeah. So. Well, plus it's something that like you might have to pay into if you get fined, but you also might get that money back based on if you need it. Yeah. If you're the guy that gets hit you yeah. know, illegally and you need funds. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. But speaking of people getting fined and doing bad things, uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins forward Jarek McCann, our lovely McCann can, has been fined $10,000 for elbowing Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Travis Sondheim during the game on Friday, January 15th. This is the maximum allowable under the CBA, and that money will also go into the Players Emergency Assistance Fund. It was ugly, but it wasn't that ugly based on what uh, I I mean, he got fined the maximum amount, so... so must have been ugly enough. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, when it comes to the way the Penguins and the Flyers play each other, I wouldn't say it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Well, but... no, but... I mean, you gotta do something when people are elbowing each other in the head. Right. No argument there. Capitals goalie Henrik Lundqvist announces that he is out of the hospital following open heart surgery. He's been keeping fans updated on Twitter and Instagram since mid-December when he found out that he needed surgery and wouldn't be able to play this season. Yeah, he most recently posted a picture of his kids running out to him in his driveway at home. And they had little signs welcoming him home. Yeah. Yeah. That was very cute. So he had surgery for ascending aortic replacement at the Cleveland Clinic, and he was signed on a one-year, $1.5 million contract with the Capitals on October 9th, so only about two months before he found out about needing surgery. Yeah. And the injury that When I read about it, I was like, oh, ow, that sounds bad, which I normally read these and I'm like, "Eh, whatever. But this one, like, physically hurt me when I read about it. Sean Couturier of the Philadelphia Flyers will be out at least two weeks due to a rib injury. He sustained a costochondral separation, which occurs when the rib tears away from the cartilage that connects it to the breastbone. Ugh, right? That sounds awful. Doesn't that sound... Yeah. Yeah. So, they're saying two weeks. I've had abdominal muscle problems before. Yeah. And, like, I can't imagine coming back in two weeks. That mm. sounds like you need to, like, lay down for two months. Try not to breathe too much. Right. It definitely doesn't sound nice. Speaking on the subject of injuries, Buffalo Sabres' Eric Stahl left Thursday's game early after a check to his head by Capitals player Nick Dowd. That one was ugly. Was Um, there a fine? The fine hasn't come down yet, but I imagine there will be one. I mean, an elbow to the head is an elbow to a head. Yeah, it was more of a shoulder to the head. So it was just, it was ugly in every which way. They're saying from Eric Stahl right now that he's day-to-day, but it's like, dude, when you get rocked like he did. Well, that sounds like it was full body. Oof. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. It was an ugly hit. And you could tell that Dowd wasn't trying to hit him in the head, but at the same time, it was, he's a big body forward and it was going to hurt no matter what. 
And then there's some long-time injured reserve list stuff that got added this week. Obviously, Mike Smith being the biggest name added to it from the Oilers. And then Kirby Doc and Jonathan Taves were finally added to the LTIR, um, which allows portions of their salaries to be taken off the cap hits for the Blackhawks, which frees up a little bit of money. Since we don't know when Taves is coming back, we just have this indefinite unknown time that he's going to be out. Vladimir Tarasenko has also been placed on the long-term injured reserve after undergoing his third shoulder surgery in five years. How old is he? He had that at the end of the regular season last year, but it hasn't fully recovered yet. So they're basically expecting him to be out again an unknown indefinite amount of time. Right. And since Tarasenko is such a large cap hit, that frees up a lot of room and keeps the Blues under cap because they were technically over before that long-term injured reserve. Okay. Move, so That's just a lot of surgeries in that period of time. Yeah. For someone who's supposed to be an athlete. Yeah, especially one of his caliber. For COVID news, the Dallas Stars have had their first four games postponed thanks to COVID concerns. Their first game will be at home on January 22nd against the Nashville Predators. On January 8th, Six Stars players and two staff members tested positive for COVID. They followed this up with closing their practice facility and announcing that the season will not start for the Dallas Stars before January 19th. There has already been a slew of game date changes for the season, which aren't all coming from the Dallas Stars, but, I mean, games are affected by the Dallas Stars having to postpone. Yeah. And there's a full list on the NHL website if you want to go into it. It's already got, like, 15, almost 20 games listed on there. So a total of 17 players now since camps have tested positive on the Dallas Stars, which is... A lot. Insane. Mm -hmm. That's practically the roster. Good job, Texas. So I'm not shocked to see that these things are being pushed back. I know a lot of the Stars fans that I work with are like, when are we going to get hooked? And I'm like, well, when you start taking this seriously, when the players stop spreading it to one another. Yeah. um, They're going to have herd immunity before anyone else. Yeah. Five out of the 10 games as of, I believe it was like Wednesday or Thursday were games affected by the Dallas Stars delays. So there've been more added since since, then. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that was the most recent article I found. So you found one obviously more updated than I did. Right. But it's kind of crazy that at the time, 10 games had been changed or delayed because of COVID-19 in the NHL. And half of them were Dallas games. Yeah. So. Well, affected by Dallas. Yeah. The Dallas Stars coach Rick Bonus said on Saturday, January 16th, that they need as much time as possible to get ready for their season opener on January 22nd. He's quoted as saying, Just the way camp unfolded and when we lost those five days, we need more time to get our legs back. The Stars are currently set to spend the rest of camp improving their cardio and skating, finishing each practice with what they're calling a hard skate. Kind of makes sense because, as you know, with the lung damage that comes with COVID, if you have a bad bout of it, you can be really messed up. I've seen it in a couple friends and family member cases, so I'm not shocked by that. Uh, Needing some work. The Winnipeg Jets this week also canceled their practice due to potential COVID-19 exposures. So they ended up being all negative tests that came back, but because there was a chance that somebody was exposed to it, they shut down their entire team practices in response. So instead of just being like the one or two players that had the exposure risk and going like, you guys can't come, they're like, out of protocol, we're going to make sure 
nobody's at practice, which I think is smart. Last Sunday, the Vancouver Canucks also canceled their practice for the same reasons. That was an exposure risk, so. But there were some signings this week as well. I don't know if you caught up with any of them or not. I only wrote down two of them because they're kind of the big names that were still left in free agency. Okay. The Minnesota Wild re-signed Marcus Foligno to a three-year contract with an AAV of $2.875 million. It's kind of a long set of numbers, but, you know, got to clear that out. Also this week, the Blues signed Mike Hoffman to a one-year contract with an AAV of $4 million. That was part of the cap move that Tarasenko cleared room for, so I'm not shocked to see them going out and spending money now that they have all the extra monies from Tarasenko's long-term injury reserve move. But that is all the NHL news I have, unless you have something else hidden about. No, I think that's everything. And I think I'm going to be right in saying this is a little bit longer than our past couple episodes. But so, everyone wanted to get signed this week for some reason. Signed, fired, or re-signed, one or the other. Yeah. But we appreciate your guys' time, and thank you for listening. Make sure you guys check out all the social media, which will be linked in our show notes. And we'll catch you guys on Thursday for our book episode. Finally, something I can talk about. We'll catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.